This is Dr. Tina Webb, and you are listening to the Coping Season Podcast, the show that discusses mental and emotional wellness to help black men and black women begin to heal and cope with the effects of emotional distress. Although I am a licensed clinical social worker, please note that this podcast is not meant to be used as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist. Get ready to laugh, think, and be entertained. It's time to cope. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so glad to be back with you all on another Wednesday. And if you follow me on Instagram, I want to let y'all know what's going on so you can be in the loop because I just found out this today. But Instagram blocked me, you guys. I am not able to post anything on my feed until I think it said October 20th. So what happened is a lot of people started requesting me. I started following a lot of people. I guess that started to look suspicious to Instagram. And so they blocked me, you guys. But you can still I think I can still post on my story. So I'll be posting things on my Instagram story. If I'm not able to do that, then you can always still catch my posts on Facebook and on my YouTube channel since Instagram wants to be hating on a sister. And speaking of hating on sisters. I don't know if y'all watched the vice presidential debate last week with Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, but the next day after the debate, Donald Trump did an interview with Fox Business News and he attacked Senator Kamala Harris and called her a monster. Not once, but twice, y'all. He called a United States senator and a woman who just made history as the first black woman to participate in the vice presidential debate a monster. He had the audacity to say, This monster that was on stage with Mike Pence, who destroyed her last night, by the way. But this monster, she says, no, no, there won't be fracking. Everything she said is a lie. He even took it further, y'all. He went on to call her horrible and totally unlikable. He called her a communist. And this is not the first time that he has attacked Kamala Harris. He has called her incompetent. He has called her super liberal. He has painted this dark picture to his supporters of what would happen if Biden became president and something happened to him. And then Kamala Harris had to take over as president. He has referred to her as nasty, a sort of a mad woman, a disaster, the meanest, most horrible, most disrespectful of anybody in the United States Senate, when in reality, He's the nasty one. He's the madman, the disaster, the meanest, the most horrible, the most disrespectful, the monster. That's all him. And he has done the same thing to Michelle Obama, to Maxine Waters, and many, many more. The way he attempted to degrade Kamala Harris last week shows that he has no respect for black women. He has no respect for black people at all. He has no respect for women, period. But with black women, his racist misogyny is so blatant. It's right there. Boom. In your face. No question about it. And then in the same breath that he uses to disrespect and degrade black women and not denounce white supremacy and not denounce police brutality and not denounce the killing of black people and not acknowledge and support a whole community of people in pain and distress and continue to cause racial division. He has the nerve, the nerve to keep saying I've done more for the black community than any president except Abraham Lincoln. I've done a lot for African-Americans, but he can never answer the question about what has he done? He keeps saying this as if we should be grateful, as if he is really doing something for us, as if we should overlook the harm that he is causing the black community. In the words of Malcolm X, if you're not careful, 
The newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. On today's segment of Ask Dr. Tina, I want to read a quote. This is another quote by Malcolm X. This is from a speech that he gave in 1962 in Los Angeles, California, and it still rings true today. In this speech, he asked, and I quote, who taught you to hate the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? He then went on to say, and I quote, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. And that's what Malcolm X had to say. And then he ended his comments, making sure that black men protect black women. In the decades since Malcolm X gave that speech, those words have continued to resonate. As black women, we continue to face overwhelming adversity. Trump calling Kamala Harris a monster is dehumanizing. And him using that word was no mistake. This is what he thinks of black women. He is proud of his bigotry and he is not the only one. He has supporters who feel the same way. And Kamala Harris didn't even respond to that mess, just like most black women wouldn't. We have been called worse and yet we remain regal, graceful, and we continue to work and endure despite of it all. Despite the racism, despite the sexism, despite the constant disrespect, despite the obstacles that we face. This is a testimony of our strength, but it's also an unfair burden that we have to continually bear. It's unfair that we're forced to cope with these painful experiences of oppression over and over and over again. Whether the racism is overt and it comes in the form of racial macroaggressions, like being called a racial slur or being called a monster or being physically assaulted because of our race, or whether it comes in the form of racial microaggressions that are subtle, they're intentional, and they might be unintentional slights that attempt to degrade us, like when people treat us as inferior or when we are racially profiled or accused of crimes due to race, or when you are the only black person that works at your job, when there are no representations of black people in certain career fields or in politics, when we are told that we talk about race and racism too much, when people assume that all black people are the same and then they're surprised when you don't measure up to their assumption, or when Pence said that there is no such thing as systemic racism. These are all microaggressions or when we don't have quality access to resources like education, housing, health care and employment opportunities. We have to deal with microaggressions on so many levels. We have to deal with it on a personal level, like when people try to touch our hair and then they look amazed at our coils as if we're not human or also when your boss or coworkers are surprised at how articulate and educated you are. These are all microaggressions that black people have to continually deal with. Now, besides being strong and keeping our head up and carrying on, what else are we supposed to do in these situations? Are we supposed to lie down in defeat? Give up? No, we keep going, but we pay a price for enduring. We pay a price for carrying on, for being strong. There are studies 
that show that racial discrimination is a huge stressor among black women. And that stress, it impacts our health, physical, mental and emotional health. You know, racism has a detrimental impact on our mental health. There is a link between experiences of racism and mental health among black people. Racism causes stress and anxiety in black people that we barely even talk about. So in today's episode, I would like to take a deeper dive into anxiety in the black community. Anxiety is one of the most common mental health conditions in America, but in the black community, due to racial trauma, the prevalence and the impact of anxiety is severe. And yet, because of stigma, because of the lack of understanding about the impact that racism has on our mental health, many black people will never get treatment. And it's so sad because our mental and our physical health is continuously eroding because we deal with chronic trauma chronic stress, and racism. And this year, since March, since the murder of George Floyd in March, the rates of anxiety and depression has increased in the black community. And then our anxiety, it just keeps being triggered. It keeps being triggered over and over because we're constantly exposed to racism and racist abuse. Now, when we think of black women, racism, and how being the most disrespected and unprotected woman in America contributes to anxiety, we have to fully understand and look at how black women are viewed in America. We have to acknowledge and understand the effects of the murders of Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, and the brutality of Jakesia Clemens. The videos that we see of countless black women being brutalized by white police officers. We are constantly victimized and disrespected by the system that is supposed to protect us by black men that are supposed to stand with us and protect us. We have to understand the effect that this has on black women. We have to acknowledge and understand the effect that it has on black women when we see Kim Kardashian and her sisters and other non-black women being praised as being trailblazers, as having a standard of beauty that they have emulated from the black woman. They are praised for the same features and aesthetic that we as black women have been taught to hate about ourselves, that we've been taught to feel insecure about. When black women originate a trend or a style, it's not seen as a standard of beauty until non-black women do it. Even wearing our own beautiful natural hair has been historically seen as unprofessional in the workplace. It has been seen as not beautiful, as not the standard. Well, not the European standard. You know, this takes me back to when I was in the Air Force. And I don't know if it's changed now because I've been out of the military for a very, very long time. But when I was in the Air Force, they had a policy to where, you know, you can't wear your hair. Your hair cannot touch your collar and you can't have a faddish hairstyle. Now, what does faddish mean? Who determines what's faddish? So I would always wear my hair in a ponytail or with a bun. I would have a perm and my hair would be straight. Or sometimes I would have press my hair if I didn't have a perm and my hair would be straight or I would slick my hair down with gel and have it in a bun or something like that. And nobody ever said anything to me. If anything, they said, I like your hair, you know, something like that. But there came a point when I stopped straightening my hair and I stopped putting perms in my hair and I just had my hair was curly and I would put this stuff in my hair and my hair would be really curly and cute. And, you know, it was short. It was above the collar and I put a nice little headband on it. It looked really cute. It looked professional. It was above the collar. It met the standards. I wore my hair like that for a long time. 
And yet a white male military member came up to me one day and he said, uh, I think I don't think you're supposed to have your hair like that. I think you're out of regulations. I think that that's against the policy. I'm like, what is against the policy? What about my hair is against the policy? And he didn't have an answer. He said, I just don't think it's supposed to be like that. Isn't that a faddish hairstyle? So you see how my own hair that grows out of my head, the way that God made me was seen as unacceptable by a white person. And the kicker is that I would see other women in the military, white women and women of other ethnicities with curly hair, wearing their hair the same way. And there was no issue. As black women, our beauty is often criticized for not being European enough. I'll share another story. You know, a few years ago, I was at a networking event and there was a doctor there that I was talking to and I was asking him, you know, what do you do? He was like Middle Eastern. And I was asking him, you know, what do you do? And he says he's a plastic surgeon and he hands me his card and he tells me to give his office a call one day and that he can help fix my nose. He can make it slimmer, make it smaller. And I was just like, oh, no, he didn't. Did I imply that I needed my nose fixed or as if there was an issue that I had with my nose? But you see, in his eyes, my nose did not meet the European standard of beauty and he felt that he can fix me in some way. So you see how the features of black women are sometimes criticized for not being European. And just like Malcolm X said, you know, we've been taught to hate, to feel insecure about our appearance, about our nose, about our hair, about our lips. Even as a kid by family members, I was told to pull up my nose. You don't want it to spread. You don't want to have a big nose as if my African nose that God gave me is not beautiful. It's not the standard of beauty nose that America has brainwashed black people into thinking is a nice nose. You know, it gets deep. And all of this is a result of slavery. It's the truth and the truth can hurt. The truth can sting sometimes, especially when. We see some black men, some black men will see non-black women with African features. You know, they've injected the lips or they have baby hair and they, they're rocking the braids and they have like these big butts and breasts. You know, they're emulating more of an African body and black men will see these women as exotic. As we've seen 50 Cent and Lil Wayne, they recently had a conversation about it and they kind of dissed the black woman. You know, there are black men who neglect the black woman. And I'm not going to say all black men because that is a total false statement. But there are some black men who neglect the black woman and they might call it preference. But a lot of times it's not because of preference. It's because they, too, have been taught to hate themselves, to hate their features. And they see the black woman as an adversary. Historically, there are three different ways that black women have been seen in America. There are three stereotypes of the black woman. We have the strong black woman, which you might also hear being called a superwoman. There is the angry black woman. There is the Jezebel, or you might hear it being called the video vixen. And all of these stereotypes are problematic because they affect how other people see black women. It affects how we see ourselves. It contributes to our anxiety and it affects our mental health in so many ways. When we are portrayed as being the strong black woman, like let's say in movies, in movies, the strong black woman is going to be depicted as being a maid like Viola Davis in the movie The Help or Aunt Jemima 
or, you know, even if we look at the new movie on Netflix um, about Madam C.J. Walker and you have Octavia Spencer and the movie is self-made in that movie, that is the strong black woman. Historically, black women have been portrayed as being the mammy, as a servant, as being overweight or subservient, happy to please, you know, self-sacrificing and nurturing and loving. And you don't have any sexual desire or sexual attraction for others. You're just the mammy. Now, when black women in society are viewed as being the strong black woman, we are seen as the woman who struggles and she has to face and endure so much. Yet we keep going. We're neglected. We are viewed as women who don't get tired. We work. We take care of the kids. We take care of the family. We take care of the bills. We are seen as being like it's hard to hurt our feelings. It's hard to damage us. We're invulnerable and we can handle anything. We don't need a man. We don't need a marriage. We don't need anybody to stand up for us and have our back. We've got our own back. And the thing about this stereotype that's so damaging is that it reinforces the insane idea that black women can bear any burden, not just because we have to, but because we want to. We live to. It pleases us to do so. This is why we exist to give and never take. This stereotype brings about this idea that black women don't show emotion. We just do what we have to do. We're independent. We take care of everyone else and we neglect ourselves. And yet we take it as a compliment. We take it as a compliment to be called a strong black woman. And in some ways it is a compliment. But in reality, we are killing ourselves by neglecting ourselves to take care of other people. This idea of the strong black woman contributes to the health disparities that black women face. Like that's why we have babies with low birth weights, why we end up getting lupus and heart disease and substance use and obesity and depression and anxiety because we are under all of this stress and we don't have any ways to cope. And I'm not saying that black women shouldn't be seen as strong because we are. We always have been and we've always had to be since the time of slavery. Does this role of being superwoman and being the strong black woman have its benefits? Yes, of course it does. You know, it helps us to survive. It helps us to preserve ourselves and to preserve our families and to preserve the black community. It helps us to cope with racial discrimination and to keep going and moving forward. Even when a white man, a bigot, a racist, a sexist calls us a monster, calls us unintelligent attacks us and no one has our back. As strong black women, we are persistent. We persevere. And in the words of Maxine Waters, I am a strong black woman. I cannot be intimidated and I'm not going anywhere. But even though this role benefits us in ways, it also causes a lot of problems. Because of this stereotype, we are unprotected. We are disrespected. We are forgotten. The stereotype of the strong black woman is harming our mental health. We keep going even when we should stop because it's affecting us mentally. It's affecting our physical health. You know, we are fragile. We hurt more than anyone. But because of the stereotype of the strong black woman, she doesn't need anybody and all this stuff. Who's going to hear us when we do ask for help? Who's going to help us when we show how vulnerable that we are? Look at what happened to Breonna Taylor. Where is the justice? And then we have the stereotype of the Jezebel, the video vixen. 
and she represents the sexualized black woman. She's the opposite of the strong black woman of the mammy that has no that's asexual and has no sexual desire. The Jezebel, the video vixen, she is very sexualized. And there is a long history of black women being sexually objectified in America. Now, the name Jezebel can be traced all the way back to the Bible. Jezebel was the name of a queen who turned her husband, King Ahab. She turned his heart away from worshiping God. Like Lauren Hill said, that was the sin that did Jezebel in. Who you going to tell when the repercussions spin? Showing off your ass because you're thinking it's the trend, girlfriend. Let me break it down for you again. You know, I only said because I'm truly genuine. Don't be a hard rock when you really are. Jim, baby girl, respect is just the minimum. Now, historically in America, white women were portrayed as having self-respect, as having self-control and being modest and having like sexual purity. But black women have historically been depicted as being easy, as being promiscuous and seductive and having this insatiable sexual appetite to the point to where they may be seen as a predator. It is a stereotype that comes from slavery. We can even back it up to before slavery. You know, there were Europeans and they were travelers that would go to Africa. And when they saw the African natives, they would see them and they would be half clothed or they would be underclothed or they wouldn't be wearing clothes at all sometimes. And these Europeans, they misinterpreted that the African culture as being lewd or, or sexual. And then they saw, you know, African men, they could have more than one wife. So they saw the poly polygamy and the tribal dances as proof that Africans have an uncontrolled sexual lust. And, you know, Europeans were just fascinated by African sexuality. And of course, their interpretation was false. Now, during the time of slavery, the notion of the black woman being this sexually aggressive and seductive woman that was used to excuse the sexual violence and the sexual assault that black women endured from white men. Historically, this stereotype helped to justify the rape of black women by white men. It's often called the Jezebel whore stereotype. They used it during slavery. They rationalized the sexual relations between white men and black women so that they can rationalize rape. And they did this by putting out this image of the black woman having this insatiable appetite for sex. Like she's so sex starved and so sex craved that she's not satisfied with just having sex with the black man. She's desiring sexual relations with the white man, too. And therefore, the white men didn't have to rape the black women. Their explanation was that the black woman just wanted it. So this idea of the Jezebel, the sexual predator, the sex crazed woman, they also use this to explain why black women had biracial children. Now, if we look at movies, we can see like Holly Berry. She played into the stereotype of the Jezebel whore when she played the role in the movie Monsters Ball. Some female rappers, they play into the stereotype of the Jezebel. Like, for example, that song WAP by Cardi B and Meg The Stallion. Now, y'all know I love both of them, but that song plays into the stereotype of the Jezebel, of the sexually depraved, overly sexualized black woman. And it's the same thing with the IG models and the video vixens. And like, you know, Little Kim back in the day when she came out with that album called Hardcore or that time when she came out on the red, red carpet at an event and I think it was the music awards and she had her breast hanging out and all she had was a pasty on it. Like that plays into the stereotype of the Jezebel.
There is even a female rapper out right now. Her name is Mulatto. She's biracial, but she's using a name that comes from slavery. She's she dresses sexy. She's rapping about sex. She's playing into the stereotype. And if we look at slavery too, like a lot of the biracial women or the mulatto women, they ended up being sold into prostitution or they were becoming concubines. So it's like she's this walking stereotype of the Jezebel. And I wonder if she even knows. I wonder if this is something that is done on purpose or or what. I have to look more into her story, but it's really kind of like, wow. So you see how these negative stereotypes can affect how we see ourselves and it can influence our behavior. And not only does it affect how we see ourselves, it affects how other people see us. And these the stereotype of the Jezebel, it also functions as a tool. It's a way to oppress and control black women. That's what it was used for during slavery. You know, but some women embrace the stereotype of the Jezebel. They feel like they're taking their power back, that they're feminists and they can do what they want to do and they're in control. But then a lot of black women work hard to try to make this image of the Jezebel disappear. They try to dispel this image, especially professional black women. And so what often happens is that when the black woman is trying to dispel this image of the Jezebel, the strong black woman stereotype starts to work against us. We end up working so hard to get ahead. We work so hard to succeed and to just become professional and get to the top of our game that we become disliked. We become seen as a threat even by other black people sometimes. And then another stereotype rears its ugly head, the angry black woman. Now, the stereotype of the angry black woman is an ugly image of the black woman. We hear this term on TV, in movies, you hear it in your family, in social circles, black men saying it to black women, black women saying it to other black women, other ethnicities saying it about black women, saying it to black women. You're an angry black woman. This idea of the angry black woman supports a myth that black women are hostile and aggressive. We have bad tempers. We will cuss you out in a minute. We are stereotyped as being sassy, rude, loud, malicious, stubborn, and overbearing. The angry black woman is seen as somebody who emasculates her man. She's mean-spirited. She's abusive. This is the depiction of the angry black woman. Now, historically, the angry black woman has been called the sapphire. She is, like I said, emasculating, loud, aggressive, angry, stubborn, and unfeminine. In fact, you know, from the 1800s through the mid 1900s, black women were often portrayed as being sassy mammies. Now, these sassy mammies, they were in charge. They ran the household. They would discipline and scold their husband and their children. They were depicted as being angry and aggressive. White people would put on black face and they would play the role of how they saw black people. Now, during the Jim Crow period, these fictional mammies, they were allowed to pretend like they were chastising white people. They were disciplining white people. Now, one of the reasons why they would depict black women as being sassy and being able to tell white people what to do is because they were trying to put out the image that the, that it was acceptable for black women to be sassy like that. And that the notion of slavery and segregation was not oppressive. Like I said, these were fictional mammies because in reality, black people were being beaten. They were going to jail. They were being killed for arguing with white people, for disagreeing with white people. They were being killed. They couldn't be sassy in real life. 
This depiction of the sassy mammy was fake. An example of a sassy mammy is Hattie McDaniel. She played the mammy in a lot of movies, including Gone with the Wind. She was depicted as being like sassy and quick tempered and feisty, but she was always loyal to the white families. So she wasn't seen as a threat. Then in the 1930s and the 1950s, there was a show called The Amos and Andy Show. Now, it was a radio show that turned into a popular TV show, and they had a character on the show named Sapphire. Now, Sapphire, she was played by a black woman named Ernestine Wade. Now, on the show, Sapphire, she would nag and she would emasculate her husband. The show is controversial because it relied heavily on racist stereotypes. It was harmful to the black community to see ourselves in this light. But at the same time, it was a way to finally start seeing black people on TV. And still, these same stereotypes keep playing out on TV today. Think about Cookie Lion and Empire. She would be a Sapphire, a sassy mammy. You know, Aunt Esther in Sanford and Son, Wilona from Good Times and how she treated Booker, Wheezy from the Jeffersons and how she talked to George, Pam from Martin, and the list goes on and on. Black women are depicted as being antagonistic and confrontational. We are depicted as being a B-I-T-C-H. What's my favorite word? Mm, Why they got to say it like short? Mm, You know, they can't play on my court, can't hang with the big dog, stay on the porch, blow the whistle. Da, 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 blow the whistle da, 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 da. you know it is just a harsh and horrible portrayal of black women and this sapphire metaphor this angry black woman stereotype it continues to be used as a powerful tool that influences how people relate to black women in society it influences how people relate and interact with black women period it affects our relationships And it causes relationship strain between the black man and the black woman. Because of this stereotype of the angry black woman, black women are seen as an adversary of the black man. We're seen as his opponent. We are seen as the last woman that a man should choose or want. We are seen as unattractive, unlovable, and that we should take notes from women of other races of how to treat a man. And yet we are the number one protector, nurturer, forgiver and advocate of the black man. We have their back no matter what. But the stereotype of the angry black woman causes division. No matter how friendly, polite, regal, and accomplished a black woman is, this stereotype of the sapphire, of the angry black woman, it lingers in the background. It's used as a way to oppress and suppress black women. It's a way to punish a black woman who society feels has stepped out of line, who stepped out of her place. If you're a black woman who is not passive, who is not excessively willing to serve and to please others, who is non-threatening and remains unseen as black women have historically been expected to be, then you are labeled as an angry black woman. And that's why a white man, a bigot, a racist, a sexist can call a black woman who is a former district attorney, a United States senator, America's first ever black female vice presidential candidate who also serves on the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. She serves on the Select Committee on Intelligence. She serves on the Committee of the Judiciary. She serves on the Committee of the Budget. And yet, because of this negative stereotype, An unqualified white man can call her a nasty woman, 
a monster, horrible, unlikable, incompetent, and no one bats an eye. And why all of this hate? Because she's become a threat? She's actually in a position where she could make it into the White House? Is it because she stood up for herself and she demanded respect when she told Mike Pence, who kept interrupting and talking over her during a debate that she was speaking? Is that why she can be called all these names and painted as an angry black woman to discredit her? Because of the stereotype, Michelle Obama, an accomplished attorney, an author, an advocate, the first lady of the United States of America, wife to the president of the United States of America, can be called strikingly ungracious, an atrocity, not classy enough, an ape in heels, a gorilla, a baby mama, and nobody bats an eye. Because of this stereotype, Maxine Waters, a United States Congresswoman, the first African-American chair of the House Financial Services Committee and wife of a former United States ambassador, can be called unintelligent, crazy, ranting and raving, an extraordinarily low IQ person, loud mouth, and nobody bats an eye. This is why black women who are the opposite of the angry black woman stereotype, this is why they will frequently hear, they will hear white people tell them this, black people tell them this, people of other ethnicities, they will tell them, you know, you're different from what I expected. And they will say that and not see anything wrong with that statement. When in reality, what they are really saying is that you are different from the negative stereotypes of black women that painted this false expectation of what my interaction with you was supposed to be. This is the myth of the black woman. So you see how this stereotype reinforces the cycle of black women's oppression, just like the metaphor of the angry black woman was used to maintain the institution of slavery. And it was used to maintain Jim Crow oppression. It is still used today to reinforce white supremacy. It is a label that many black women have struggled with in our professional and personal lives. And we often try so hard to not depict the stereotype of the angry black woman that it affects our mental health and it contributes to anxiety and to stress. These images and these historical stereotypes of black women have consequences for black women today. The lives of black women are depicted through the lens of these faulty, unfair and incorrect stereotypes. Like Tupac says, stereotypes of a black woman misunderstood and is still all good. The essence of the black woman could never be summed up into these depictions that have been rooted in the slave trade. These three stereotypes seek to reduce the black woman and it greatly impacts us psychologically. That's why it's important to know the history of how black women have been viewed in America so that you can fully understand the link between anxiety and black women. Now, as I mentioned earlier, anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in the United States. It affects 40 million adults every year, and it impacts black people at a higher rate than any other group, especially black women. Having anxiety, it affects a person's daily activities, their personal relationships, and it impacts their health. But what you need to know is that anxiety disorders are highly treatable, but in the black community, those suffering don't end up getting the help that they need. It's important to know that there are many different types of anxiety disorders, but today I want to focus on generalized anxiety disorder. 
And this disorder is very common, but sometimes it can be a challenge to diagnose because when people think about anxiety, they sometimes tend to think that they're supposed to be having panic attacks. And that's not true. With generalized anxiety disorder, there are generally no panic attacks. And because people have this misconception about panic attacks, sometimes people will just think that they're just worrying too much or they might be constantly worrying, but they minimize and they dismiss what they're feeling And they don't realize that they're dealing with anxiety and they don't end up getting the help that they need. Now, most of us, we worry and we get into situations. We go through things that make us feel anxious and that's normal. But for many people, their anxiety and their worry is actually related to them having generalized anxiety disorder. So what happens when somebody has this disorder is they will experience excessive anxiety and excessive worry. It's like abnormal anxiety where they might feel anxious for no reason. There's nothing wrong, but yet they feel like something bad is going to happen. And they'll feel like this almost every day, like most days, For at least six months, they'll feel this way and they will feel worried and anxious about a variety of different topics, a variety of different things like work, school, home. You know, when they're out with friends, they're at the store, wherever they are going to always be worried about something. And it can just be worrying about like everyday routine stuff, like the things they have to do at work or, you know, their job responsibilities, their finances their health, their family members health, they might be worried about something happening to their kids. This is especially true. It's a worry for black women, we worry about our children, especially our black sons. And we worry about small things too. people with anxiety will worry about like doing their chores, being late for appointments, small things like that. It's like an excessive worry, they are going to have a hard time trying to control it. They might have so many worrisome thoughts that they can't focus on what they're doing. And all of their worrying is going to significantly interfere with them psychologically, especially when they have like a whole range of things to worry about and they're feeling distressed. If they've been feeling very distressed and under pressure and they've been worrying like this for a long time, then it's going to really affect them psychologically. And when people have anxiety like this, it's also going to affect them physically. Like they might say, you know, my nerves is bad when they might be feeling keyed up. They might feel on edge and restless. They might get really tired very easily or they're more tired than usual. They might have a hard time concentrating or their mind goes blank. They lose their train of thought and they can't think. They might be feeling very tight and tense and their muscles are sore and their body is sore and they have all these muscle aches and this muscle tension. They might also be very irritable. Other people may or may not see the irritability, but they can feel it. They may have a hard time sleeping. So what happens with the sleep is that maybe they have a hard time falling asleep or they have a hard time staying asleep. Or they feel restless at nighttime and they just tossing and turning or they didn't sleep good. They don't feel like they slept at all. Those are sleep problems that they might have for adults to be diagnosed with this disorder. They only need three of the symptoms that I mentioned to be happening to them. Now, for kids to be diagnosed with this disorder, they only need one of these things happening to them for them to be diagnosed. Something else that might happen too when somebody has generalized anxiety disorder is that they might be sweating. They might be feeling nauseous. They might have diarrhea. They might be jumpy and they get scared really fast. They're easily startled. 
They might have like an accelerated heart rate. Their heart is beating fast. They have shortness of breath and dizziness. And because of the stress, they might also have irritable bowel syndrome and headaches. You know, there are many reasons why people might develop anxiety disorders. It could be genetics. It could be like because of the brain chemistry. It could be because of their personality type or life events can also contribute to why people will develop anxiety disorders. It's important to know that in the black community, racial trauma is another factor that can lead to anxiety. You know, in the black community, we are often exposed to racism, to racist abuse and the effects of racism, like fewer opportunities, like for employment and housing and all of those other things. And then we have we live in communities that are less safe. That contributes to our anxiety. We also experience high rates of trauma like sexual assault and police violence. We tend to experience like chronic trauma. We experience chronic stress, chronic racism over a long period of time. It's lifelong. And because of this, our mental and physical health, it erodes faster. And then on top of all of that, because in the black community, we have so many fears and stigma around mental health. It makes it hard for us to get help. The people who need the help don't get it. And as I mentioned, you know, there are just many reasons why people develop anxiety. It could be that anxiety runs in the family. It could be that somebody has a personality where they're shy or they're the type of person who has the temperament where they're very self-conscious and they don't speak up for themselves. They don't want to come off as rude. So they internalize everything and that can contribute to them developing anxiety. You know, sometimes, too, people have medical conditions that mimic anxiety, like heart arrhythmias and uh, thyroid disease. And that's why before people are diagnosed with anxiety, you know, they have to have a physical done mental health professionals. They have to rule out and make sure that it's anxiety and it's not caused by some other medical condition or some other mental health condition or that it's not caused by drugs or alcohol use. Sometimes, too, people take like prescription medications and that can also cause symptoms of anxiety. I just want to say that as black women and black men, we get tired. We get tired of having to be strong all the time. We just need compassion. We need to know that it's okay to not be okay sometimes. We just need the chance to be who we are, how we are, without all of the extras that come with living in a country that is socialized based off of race. But until that day comes, there are ways that we can support each other. There are ways that we can have compassion for ourselves and tend to our emotions. Let me tell you how. You know what time it is. It's time to cope. It's time to pull out our coping toolbox. I'm going to give us some tools to toss in there today to help us cope with anxiety. Remember, we are going to be building this coping toolbox every time that we're together so that we can keep everything that we need that can calm us during times of distress and help us to express how we feel in healthy ways. The first thing that I want to say is that anxiety, anger, sadness, fear, they are all normal and understandable emotions to feel as a response to the painful experiences of racism that we as black people continually experience. I know that anxiety is uncomfortable. It affects our daily lives, but there is help. There is hope. There are ways to cope. And if you get the right treatment, it will work. 
Now, if and when you do seek mental health treatment, make sure that you're honest with your provider. Make sure that you're honest right at the first visit. Fill out the forms and be honest. When you talk to them face to face, be honest. Don't hold back. Tell them what you've been going through. Tell them what you've been feeling so that they can understand what's happening and you both can put together a plan that's made just for you. A plan that's going to be realistic and is going to meet your needs. Make sure you tell them your symptoms. Break it down. Tell them how it affects you on your day-to-day activities. How is it affecting you at work and at school and in your relationships? Make sure you tell them about any life changes that have happened or any like stressful events that you've had to deal with recently, any traumatic experiences that you've had in the past and tell them your medical history. You know, do you have any other medical conditions? Are you diagnosed with any other mental health conditions or have you been in the past? Tell them about any medications, any herbs, any supplements, any drugs that you're using. Just be honest and ask them some questions, too. Like, you know, you can ask them, what do you think is causing my symptoms? Do I need to take any tests? You know, what treatment do you recommend? Do I need medication or what else can I take besides medication that can help? Do you have any brochures? Do you have a website that I can look at to get more information? Or do you recommend somewhere where I can go to get more information? Ask them questions. Now, if you're wondering if you or somebody in your family or your child might be suffering from generalized anxiety disorder, you can go to the website ADAA. DAA.org, which is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. The website is ADAA.org. And they have a screener online that you can take that can let you know, like maybe if you have the symptoms of this disorder. And then if you take it and you do think you have the disorder, make sure you still go and talk to a mental health professional or go talk to your medical doctor so that they can properly diagnose you and they can talk to you about how to treat it. Now, there are two main treatments that are used to treat generalized anxiety disorder, and it's going to be psychotherapy and medications. So many people benefit from doing a combination of both. If you feel worried about taking medication, make sure you talk to your doctor about that too. ask them about the benefits, the risks, the side effects. I want you to remember that your treatment, it's your treatment. So it depends on you. It's going to depend on what works best for you in your situation. Now, in therapy, people normally do cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's going to teach them like ways to manage their worries. It's going to help them to get back out there doing activities that they used to do because they may have been avoiding them because of the anxiety. And then therapy can also help people to identify what triggers the anxiety. They also develop coping skills, and then they can also gain like an outlet for their pain. It helps to have somebody to talk to, somebody who's talking to you. They're not judging you. It's you're free to just express what's happening. I want you to know that we all feel anxious in life. Anxiety is always going to be there. But there are things that we can do to help prevent and reduce the risk of our anxiety actually turning into an anxiety disorder. Some of the things that you can do is you can try to consume less caffeine, try to consume less tea and soda and chocolate, cut back on smoking or try to stop smoking because nicotine and caffeine can make anxiety worse. You also want to try to keep a balanced and nutritious diet because some studies show that, you know, vegetables, fruits, whole grains and fish might also help to reduce anxiety as well. Another thing that you might want to do is before you start taking any over the counter medications or any herbal remedies, you want to find out from your doctor 
if they have any chemicals in it that might make your anxiety worse, because there might be some herbal remedies and supplements that can reduce the anxiety. But like I said, you want to talk to your doctor first to make sure that they're safe and that they won't interact with any other medications that you take, because there might be herbal remedies that you can take that can help reduce anxiety, but also too. They help reduce anxiety, but they can also cause liver damage. So that's why you want to talk to your doctor first to make sure you're putting the right thing into your body. You also want to make sure that you're getting enough sleep. Like if you notice that you're having sleep problems, you might want to go see your doctor so that you can find out what's going on. Because sometimes sleep problems can also signal that there's some other issue that's happening in your body. It could be a physical health issue. So you want to make sure you talk to your doctor and let them know that you're having problems sleeping. And then also too, avoid using alcohol and drugs as much as you can because they also make anxiety worse as well. You also want to find ways to manage your stress, practice stress management techniques, like keep a calendar, make a to-do list so that you can keep track of like deadlines and things that you have coming up, stuff that you have to do so that you can manage the pressure better. And then take a vacation day from work if you can here and there so that you can take time off. Make sure you take breaks when you're at work so that you can clear your mind. Another thing you can do to reduce your anxiety and your stress is to practice relaxation techniques. Practice deep breathing exercises. You can do meditation, yoga, you know, take long hot baths. And you can also like rest in the dark. You can turn off all the lights, close your eyes and sit in a dark room. Or you can just sit in a dark room with your eyes open. And that's called resting in the dark. And that can help you to relax as well. And then you also want to work on replacing those negative thoughts and stressful thoughts with positive thoughts. And this is where therapy can come in because these are exercises and things that you can work on in therapy. And they have a whole bunch of other things that they can teach you as well. But something you can do is you can make a list of like all of your negative thoughts and then write a list of all the positive ones that you can replace those negative ones with. So like instead of saying, I'm never going to catch up on all this work. Instead, maybe you can change that thought to, you know, I will catch up if I do a little bit every day. You know, when you start replacing the negative thoughts with positive thoughts, it helps you to like instead of predicting that you're going to fail or predicting disaster, those positive thoughts, they're going to help you to see like solutions that you didn't think of before. Another thing that's helpful is having a support system, having people around you that you can talk to, like a family member or a friend or someone who is supportive so that you can stop repressing your emotions and you can stop holding all these anxious feelings inside. You can also join a support group for people who have anxiety and you can find groups like on the Internet. You can contact the National Alliance on Mental Illness and they can tell you where to go in your community. Another thing that's going to be really helpful is if you stay physically active, like do exercise and that can help to reduce your stress, your anxiety. It can help to improve your mood. You know, you want to develop a routine and just start out slow. If you haven't worked out in a while, start out slow and then gradually you can increase the the number of days that you want to work out. You can increase the, the time length that you work out. You can change it up and do different things to try to just stay active or when you feel anxious, Get up and take a walk, take a brisk walk, do a hobby to kind of focus your mind away from your worries. And something else that can help is activism, especially for us black people who experience anxiety because of racial trauma. Activism is a great outlet to help manage anxiety, and it helps you to get support and be connected with other people who understand. Another thing that's helpful is try not to isolate yourself. 
Try to socialize still, because a lot of times when people get anxiety and they feel worried, they disconnect from everybody. They don't want to be bothered and they kind of just isolate and they're just stuck in their own head. But you don't want to do that. You know, talk to your loved ones, spend time with them, do some enjoyable activities because the social interaction and you being around people who love and care about you, it can help to lessen your worries. It can help to take your mind off of your worries. It can help you to feel like everything's going to be okay, that you can get through it and you'll feel supported. And lastly, I want you to know that you can't change the past. So thinking about it and dwelling on it is not going to help. Find ways to let it go. Let the past go. Try to focus on what you can change right here and right now. Be patient because it's going to take time. Like there's no magic pill. There's no magic wand. That's just going to take all your stress and your problems away. But with support and with the right skills, it will get easier over time. I want you to remember that you hold the key to having a quality life. Keep in mind that racism and negativity is not in charge. It doesn't have to run the show. You have the power and you have the ability to manage the negativity in your mind. You can do this. And on that note, that's all the tools that I got. Go ahead and put those coping toolboxes away, y'all. It's time for one of my favorite parts of the show. Movie therapy, music therapy. I would like to dedicate today's episode to the song called Don't Touch My Hair by Solange. And the song says, Don't touch my hair when it's the feelings I wear. Don't touch my soul when it's the rhythm I know. Don't touch my crown. They say the vision I found. Don't touch what's there when it's the feelings I wear. They don't understand what it means to me where we chose to go, where we've been to know. They don't understand what it means to me where we chose to go, where we've been to know. You know this here is my shit, roll the ride, I gave it time, but this here is mine. I believe that, I receive that, and I mean that. It's coping season, y'all. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You are not only listeners, you are my co-hosts, and we are a community. And I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your stories, experiences, and thoughts related to life issues, topics you'd like to hear discussed, or questions you'd like answered. Please visit me on the web at drtinaweb.com and click on Ask Dr. Tina to submit your questions, thoughts, and more. Tune in every Wednesday to hear my response. You can also check out the show notes as well as other contact information on the website. In the meantime and in between time, for additional updates, conversations, and more ways to interact, please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Tina Webb. That's D R T I. 
N-A-W-E-B-B. Feel free to share your thoughts from the show on social media using the hashtag Coping Season Podcast. Lastly, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you are listening to help others find the show and learn to cope just like you. I appreciate and read every single review. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for spreading the word to all of your friends, family, and coworkers. I so appreciate it. Thank you. And I'll see you next week.